Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. Good morning, Tri-Village Campus. It's a great joy to be gathered online once again to worship the Lord. So I'm going to invite you to set your eyes on Jesus this morning. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our songs, worthy of our affections. So let's set our eyes on him. And if you're joining us for the first time, we welcome you. We're glad that you are with us. So we want to read the scriptures, Psalm 150 this morning, and let that call us to worship. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Let's praise God in our homes. Those are sanctuaries for the Lord. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre, with guitars and everything we have with our voices. Praise him with timbrel. Praise him with dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we all say together, praise the Lord. All the earth Praise the Lord. You are worthy of our songs. You're worthy. You are faithful. There is no one like you, Lord. So we lift up our songs to you. We bring our songs to you. From the rising of the sun to the ending of the One name alone we praise. Every nation, every tongue, and all creation lifting up. Your name alone we raise. Praise the
Each time I doubt your goodness You shine Your presence makes the difference And I've seen it every time What a good God Bringing me back to life Opening up my eyes God of every blessing Standing by my side
beautiful every time and every season we will praise your name I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth Lord you are so faithful to me you are so faithful to us one of the ways in which I've seen the Lord's faithfulness in my life in light of us celebrating Father's Day. And by the way, fathers, happy Father's Day. I'm a father of four, and I've seen the Lord's faithfulness in my life, what we just sang, being a father. In my experience, as imperfect as it has been, just a little bit of a wonderful illustration of God's care and love for me as his child. And so many of us have had different experiences, either being a father's child or being a father. And how good to know that we have a father in heaven who is perfect, who is caring, who is loving, who always provides, who always leads always guides, always loves. We are so thankful to you, oh Lord, that you are a faithful Father. He is sanctifying us. Many times I felt like I don't know what I'm doing. And we need to look to him. And through that, he has taught me patience. He has taught me self-control. He has taught me endurance. Let that, whatever your experience has been, let God the Father, knowing him, pursuing him, being under his wings, teach you, shape your view and understanding of what it means to be a father or what it means to be a son or a daughter. Let's look to him. Father, you are good. You are faithful. You have saved us and you walk with us through every season. Your word is true. You always do what you say. You are trustworthy. And just like my kids are mine in every season, in the good times and the bad times when they're obedient, when they're not obedient, you have taught me, Lord, that those are the times where they need me the most. And you are there for me always. So I pray that across our congregation, we will feel your love and know your love today as a good father. We trust you, Lord. We trust your promises. Abraham, you're the God of covenant, of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven, you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the 
So, so good. Thank you, music team, for leading us in worship this morning. Well, good morning, Wheaton Bible Church, Tri-Village Church. My name is Eric Solomon, and I'm the campus pastor of Tri-Village Church, our campus in Streamwood. One of our 12 values here at Wheaton Bible Church and at Tri-Village Church is that there is power in prayer. Our team gathers each and every week to pray for you and for the requests that you send us. So whatever you're facing this week, If today's Father's Day is, whether it's celebration or moment of grief, we want to pray with you and for you. So would you take a moment right now to text prayer to 630-260-1600. You'll get a response back asking for your request, and, and it's okay if you want to remain anonymous. We just want you to know that we want to pray with and for you. We also want to ask you this week to pray with us as well. On Thursday at 5 o'clock, Pastor Rob will be hosting a Zoom prayer night with Pastor Josh Laxton of the Billy Graham Center. And we want you to join us in praying for our church and for our community. You can get the Zoom link right off of our website. Well, one of the things that I've loved hearing about more and more that I've started in my first few weeks here are the 90 missionaries that our campus support, campuses support all over the world. Through these missionaries, we've made some incredible partnerships. And actually, earlier this year, one of our GO teams visited our partners in Kenya. And one of the people that they met there was Rahab. You see, Rahab was part of this microfinance group where women loaned each other money to help start these small businesses. She had started a sewing business, actually, to provide for her kids as as a recent widow. But one of the things that she did not have, even as starting this business, was a sewing machine. She would make each garment each tablecloth, one stitch at a time. Well, through your generosity, that GO team that went earlier this year had raised some extra funds and were looking to invest in people just like Rahab. And now, Rahab has this commercial sewing machine and has been able to sew more and more, including hundreds of masks for her community in the middle of this pandemic. God is doing some amazing things around the world through your generosity. He's bringing hope and dignity to widows and making a difference for generations to come. So if you're able, would you take a moment right now to to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a, a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? And there are three pretty easy ways that you can do that. You can either text Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can go online to wheatonbible.org forward slash give or you can mail a check directly to the church office. We want to thank you for being partners in ministry with us here. Now I'd like to ask Pastor Rob to come up and pray for the offering we're about to receive. Thank you, Eric, and uh, we are thrilled that you are here and that you will be leading the charge at our Streamwood campus, and may God richly bless you, brother, you and your family as you onboard here at, with us at Wheaton Bible Church. I want to say... As Jonathan said earlier, happy Father's Day to all you fathers. I have always been impressed in all the years I've been here at Wheaton Bible Church with the number of godly mothers and godly fathers among us. And men, you fathers, may God give you an increasing sense 
of your love and your significance in Jesus Christ, that you are completely accepted, that you can be completely confident in him. And may God make you men of the word, men of prayer, and men who lovingly, affectionately, and gently lead your families to the throne of grace. We're rooting for you. We're thankful for you. Happy Father's Day uh, to you fathers today. Now, before I pray, I am thrilled to announce that three weeks from today, we will be reopening Wheaton Bible Church in a modified but hopefully progressive way. That'll be Sunday, July 12th. I had initially hoped it would be next Sunday, the last Sunday in June, but for several different reasons, we were not quite ready, so it'll be three weeks from today, Sunday, July 12th. We hope that at that same time, and this has been part of our planning all along, we will be able to open our Streamwood campus. But we're renting that space, so we need final approval. So we will keep you updated on the exact opening of our Streamwood campus. But here on North Avenue, our North Avenue campus, West Chicago campus, it will be three weeks from today. Now our service times, which are right now temporary service times because we're running everything out of our main auditorium, will be the same as they are right now. 8.30 for traditional, 10.30 for contemporary, 10.30 uh, for Streamwood, and 12.15 for our Spanish-speaking congregation. When we open three weeks from today, we will open with a maximum of 250 people per service, or 100 at our Streamwood campus for the one service we will start with. Now that affords us the opportunity to do a number of different things. Because relative to the size of the space here and also in Streamwood, we will have plenty of room for social distancing, plenty of room to keep people six feet apart. We will disinfect between each of our services. And we will unfortunately not be able to have a children's ministry right away. We're, look for, we're looking forward to that day, but it's not going to be in July. But we do want to invite you children to join your parents here if you choose to worship with us live or face to face. There's a couple other things I want to mention, and that is we are going to require you to wear masks, and we are not going to forbid you to sing, but we will encourage you to sing softly. Both of these I want you to embrace as acts of love in order that we can keep one another safe, we can uh, tap down any potential resurgence of the COVID-19 uh, but also so that we can have a wonderful experience of worshiping together. Now, you will need to reserve a seat or register online, but that will be up and cooking uh, about July 1st. So look for that on our website on July 1st. You can't register uh, just yet. You need to give us another uh, 10 days or so, but that will be coming. Now, here's what this means as I net this out, and then I'll pray. This means that you, as a part of Wheaton Bible Church, have three different options. Uh, 
for health reasons or whatever reasons um, uh, you may have, you can continue to worship online at home with us. We will always be streaming uh, going forward. And we want to encourage you, if for safety reasons, health reasons, uh, whatever, that's your preference, uh, to enjoy that. Uh, another way you can do uh, join us and worship with us is by streaming online, but inviting uh, some of your neighbors or your life group or small group to join you and, and to worship uh, together. Maybe it's later in the day on Sunday. Maybe it's another day uh, during the week. But make this a small group experience and do it together. And then the third option is our opening on July 12th where you can um, reserve a space and begin to worship with us. We are really, I am really looking forward to this. It's been long in coming, uh, too long for um, uh, my money, but we are thrilled and I want to ask you to be praying. Now having said that, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we exalt you as the great king as our Father who is in heaven, we marvel at your love. We marvel at who you are and what you teach us about what it means to be fathers. And we praise you for your mercy. We praise you that you are holy and you are righteous. We praise you that you are wise, infinitely so. And we marvel at the way you have chosen to intervene in human history and to send your son who lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, was raised from the dead, is now at your right hand, that you might rescue us from ourselves, our sin, our brokenness, and redeem us, adopt us, and bless us with eternal life. We thank you for the union that through faith in Jesus Christ we enjoy with your son. And the communion that is our goal that we might walk with Christ, that we might know Christ, that we might have an intimate relationship with Christ, more intimate than any relationship that we enjoy now. And so God, we pray today that you would bless our fathers we pray that you would give them wisdom and strength and an increasing desire to be godly men, men of the word, men who walk with Jesus. We pray for all that's going on in our culture today, for, uh, um, and we pray for wisdom for our government leaders, for us as citizens. We pray, God, uh, that you would stem the tide of uh, COVID-19. And as our culture begins to reopen, that will be a solid reopening. And the resurgences of COVID will be small and scattered. We pray, God, for the racial turmoil we are experiencing right now. And ask, God, that you would teach us according to your word what it means to live a life where we value and honor and love people of all ethnicities, people of all backgrounds, people of all socioeconomic status. And so we ask God now as we turn into your word that you would speak to us and you would bless us. Your word is a light 
Your word is a hammer. Your word is our rock. Would it be so today? And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now we are in a series on the life-changing, culture-changing subject of wisdom. God's wisdom. And we're rooting this desperately needed series in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Because Proverbs is to your wisdom what oxygen is to your lungs. It's life-giving. Now, we will come to places in Proverbs that make us very uncomfortable. Because in calling us to a life of wisdom... Proverbs calls us to an extreme spiritual makeover. A makeover of our values, of our habits, of our heart. And today is an important day in this series because today we pivot from the first half of the book of Proverbs to the second half of the book of Proverbs, which begins in Proverbs chapter 10 where we begin to look at the short wisdom statements that make the book of Proverbs famous. And so what we're going to do over the next seven weeks, these remaining seven weeks, is look at seven different areas in our lives where we desperately need wisdom, where we desperately need to hear from Proverbs. So we're going to look at our words, parenting, marriage, friendship, what Proverbs has to say about pride and self-centeredness. What Proverbs has to say about handling money. But today I want to kick it off by looking at what Proverbs has to say about anger. <laughs> Your anger, my anger. We want to look and see what Proverbs has to say about handling anger with wisdom. But I do not want you to misunderstand because I am not offering you today techniques on anger management. I will be remiss if you do not understand that today I am offering you none other than Jesus Christ. You see, my, my goal isn't, when you ha isn't that you would have a couple points or a couple principles so you can kind of figure out how on your own you can be less angry or, or more angry as I'll get to in certain areas. As if somehow you could do this on your own. But rather, uh, my goal today is that you would adopt a broken spirit. You would be a man, a woman. A student characterized by a broken, humble spirit. And you would so appreciate the forgiving, rescuing, unfailing love of God in Jesus Christ. That your bad anger would melt at the foot of the cross. And your good anger would rise there. And if there's anything, brothers and sisters, we need today, the world around us needs from the church of Jesus Christ, is that we will squash our bad anger, but people will see us being angry about the right things, 
the biblical issues of our day. You see, Proverbs tells us how to live this life of wisdom. But the New Testament adds that wisdom walked out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So we are going to look at Jesus. I said last week that almost every time you see the word wisdom in the book of Proverbs, you can substitute Jesus. So today I'm going to say it again. I offer you Jesus Christ. But first a story. As I've been recovering these last couple months from back surgery, I'm still really constricted. I can't lift much. I can't do um, a lot of different things. For example, I can't do yard work, and I love doing yard work. As a matter of fact, my yard to me is sort of like the outer courts of the temple. Uh, it's a big deal, and I love cutting my grass. I love trimming bushes. I, I love weeding. I, I love watering, all of, all of those things. Some of you are saying, Rob, you're ridiculous. But it's a way for me to put my mind in neutral and to enjoy a portion of God's creation. But since I've had my back surgery, I can't do any of that. I still can't do any of that. And I can only ask my neighbors to do so much what they've been so glad to do. So I hired a guy to cut my grass. I explained to this guy that I'm sort of a grass fanatic and I like my grass to be long and tall and to be very green and I thought we understood one another and he came and he cut my grass so low that certain areas of my yard uh, were horrified. Now think of the outer courts of the temple. I mean you know what that uh, messed up. And so we communicated but uh, we didn't make any progress so I hired a second guy explained what I wanted, and he came, and he cut it even lower than the first guy. And I wish I could say I was just jumping for joy, but I was angry. And Rhonda will tell you I spent the better part of one evening angry over blades of grass. Now, what are your blades of grass? What are those little medium-sized big things that make you angry, uh, you kids? Is it a brother or sister? Or is it a friend? Or is it something you want to do and your parents said, no, you can't do that? Or is it the restrictions of COVID-19? You adults, what is it that makes you angry? Is it a boss that doesn't appreciate you? Uh, a spouse that doesn't seem to get you? Uh, friends that repeatedly let you down. What is it that makes you angry? You see, we live in a world that is boiling over with anger, a world that is boiling over with rage. I wonder, for example, were you angry at the senseless murder of George Floyd? And all the problems that that pictures. Were you angry at the senseless rioting and the destruction and looting that followed? What is it today that makes you angry? Are you angry that we're reopening too quickly? Culture's reopening too quickly. Or, or for you, are you angry because it's, uh, man, it should have been two months ago. 
You see, for some of us, our anger runs hot. So we let it out, we shout, we say things we regret. But for others, our anger runs cold. We keep it within. We stay silent. And we simmer often in our own juices of resentment. Now whether your anger runs hot or it runs cold, it's an issue for both of us. Or for uh, uh, all of us. And I know that today many of you, because of your walk with Jesus Christ, have made real strides in your battle with anger. And even in adopting appropriate or good or righteous anger. But all of us still struggle in certain areas. Sometimes we run hot, sometimes we run cold. And so what I want to do today is I I want to help. By looking at what Proverbs has to say about three things. The nature of our anger, the cause of our anger, and most importantly, how we can change. So let's start with the nature of our anger, and I'm going to spend most of my time this morning on this first important subject, what the Bible has to say about what anger is. Now, according to the Bible, there's two types of anger. I uh, suggested these over the last couple of minutes. Uh, There is righteous and unrighteous anger. Good anger and bad anger. Now let's start with bad anger. Hot and cold anger are two different forms of bad anger. We see cold anger here in Proverbs chapter 20. But we have to work for it. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves is, who is this person speaking to? And I happen to believe, along with some of the best commentators on the book of Proverbs, like Dr. Walkie, that this is self-talk. In other words, we can translate this, do not say to yourself over and over, man, I'm going to pay this person back. I'm going to get them for the wrong, the injustice they've done to me. Here the person isn't speaking to somebody else, but speaking to themselves. It's self-talk. This person isn't raging. They're simmering. And it's called anger. A husband once asked his wife, Uh, When I get angry at you, you never get angry back at me. How is it that you are uh, so able to control your anger? And the wife looked at him and said, well, I, I go and I wash the toilets. And he said, well, how in the world does that help with your anger? And she said, well, I use your toothbrush. It's called anger. And sometimes we run hot, sometimes we run cold. Proverbs has a lot more to say about hot anger. Look at this verse from chapter 14. Actually, uh, uh, two verses. A fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. We see this over and over in the book of Proverbs. When we come to the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, there's one verse in Ephesians I want to show you that puts both uh, hot and cold anger together. Look at this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Now, bitterness 
is called anger. <laughs> it's what drove Joseph's 11 brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. It was their jealousy. It was the irritability of Israel in the wilderness before they eventually were allowed into the promised land. It was the near depressive state of the prophet Jonah when God informed him while he was in Nineveh that God was going to bless and save uh, Jonah's greatest enemies, the Ninevites. It was a cold, calculating resentment of the Pharisees towards Jesus. You see, cold anger, bitterness always keeps score. It never forgets, it never forgives. Now the second word in, here in Ephesians chapter 4 is the word rage. Rage is hot anger. In Proverbs, in verse 14 that we just looked at, sometimes it's described as being hot-headed, quick-tempered. Other places it's described as lashing out. Rage is why Cain killed Abel. It's why Moses murdered the Egyptian. It's why King Saul, who had the world at his fingertip, repeatedly threw his spear at young David, later trying to kill him. It's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that anger is a form of murder. Now, researchers tell us that this bad anger which is both hot and cold anger, is the most destructive of all the emotions because it spoils friendships. It shatters business partnerships. It splits churches. It fractures marriages. It alienates children. And it separates us from God. Holding on to anger, sinful anger, is like drinking rat poison while you wait for the rat to die. But the rat doesn't die. And all you are doing is you, you're continually poisoning yourself. Now before I go on, let me say one more thing about bad anger. According to the book of Proverbs, it is so dangerous, it is so pernicious, that it can become addictive. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you will have to do it again. The word again is critical here because again suggests a pattern of behavior, that anger can become left uncontrolled. It can become addictive. But let me go on. Let me shift from bad anger to good anger because the Bible has a lot to say and Proverbs in particular has a lot to say about anger in a positive sense. It teaches us that there is such a thing as good, constructive, and righteous anger. And to be a follower of Jesus Christ, now hear me in this, is not merely to love what Jesus loves, but it is also to hate what Jesus hates. So look at chapter 19 and a little earlier in the chapter, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. 
It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. You're thinking, how in the world does this have anything to do with good anger? Well, the word patience there in the first half of the verse is often translated elsewhere, slow to anger. Slow to anger literally means in the Hebrew to relax one's face. That's a beautiful picture. Someone offends you. Someone disappoints you. And instead of going hot or going cold, you relax your face. You're slow to anger. You're patient. And verse 11 not only calls being slow to anger wisdom, it promises you that that's to your glory, to your credit. That when you're slow to anger, it it, it honors you. Now hear me because here we come to an important point. The biblical ideal isn't the absence of anger. It's being slow to anger. To being measured, to being restrained, to being uh, uh, appropriate. Now let me go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 26. What I want you to see is this is a command. It's not a suggestion. We are commanded to be angry, but not to give in to sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Now what in the world? Well, here we are commanded to be angry at sin, but not sin. We are to be angry at injustice, at immorality, at brokenness, at spiritual failure, but never, never to give in to sin. As Paul will say a little later in that passage, never to give the devil a foothold. And one of the ways you and I routinely give the devil a foothold in our lives is when we get angry and stay angry. So I want to say something that you may have to think about for a moment. I think part of our problem in the church of Jesus Christ is we are not angry enough. We are not angry about the right things enough. So let me take a few minutes and tease this out and apply it. Let's go to Jesus' famous statement in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And by the way, Jesus, how important is this? Well, this is the first and the greatest of all the commandments. So here, Jesus is calling us, commanding us to love God and by definition to love Jesus with everything in us, heart, soul, and mind, all, all, all. And one of the ways when I think about this verse, and I think about it regularly, that helps me to unpack it, is to understand that Jesus is commanding me to do exactly what God has done and is doing and will do for me. In other words, God loves me. Not just kind of, sort of. But according to the Bible, the sweep of the Bible, God loves me with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind. And so Jesus is asking me in response to God's complete, infinite, unending, total love to love him in kind. 
And it should anger you that you don't appreciate the vastness of God's love and that you don't obey this first and greatest commandment. It should bother you. It should tick you off. And that anger should lead you to make some changes. It should lead you to repentance. It should lead you to action. And yet we're just sort of complacent about our, 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 our spiritual lives. You and I should be angry that we really don't love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and we, uh, all our mind. That you and I fail to appreciate how unfathomable, unfathomable the love of God is. How unexpectedly kind and merciful he is towards us. How much Jesus suffered to win our forgiveness. And how infinitely better Jesus is than anything in this life. Anything we could run after. That, should, that we don't appreciate all of that should make us angry. It should motivate us to repentance. We should be angry as followers of Jesus Christ. That we have reduced the rich biblical concept of holiness to external moralism. Often today in evangelicalism to merely being nice. Well, I was nice to people today, uh, so I lived a holy life. When holiness is much so much more than that. I mean, after all, nothing is more holy than what Jesus is commanding here. Nothing is more holy than you delighting in Jesus continually, chronically, daily, from your heart. Holiness isn't an external thing. Uh, ultimately, it's an internal thing that leads to external behavior. But let me continue. We should be angry at the decline of the traditional nuclear family in our culture and all the assaults against it. Because from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, what we discover is that the traditional nuclear family is central to social order. We should be angry, therefore, at the things that follow, like adultery or abortion, racism, our, our, our unwillingness to defend the needs and to plug in, to step in to the needs of the vulnerable or the dislocated or the marginalized. We should be angry at what affluence and a nonstop entertainment culture does to us. Because on the one hand, affluence makes us proud. On the other hand, our entertainment culture uh, tends to twist and distort life, so life is all about me. And what am I getting out of this moment? You see, living a life of wisdom, being a follower of Jesus Christ, isn't merely loving what God loves, it's hating what God hates. While we respect and treat with gentleness and dignity everyone, everyone made in God's image. And the Bible calls that Good anger. But let me go on before I leave the subject of good anger and talk about the ultimate biblical expression of good anger. And that is, as you might guess, the anger of God. 
The anger of God is God's righteous response to human sin, human suffering, if you will. So, for example, uh, look at Proverbs chapter 6. Notice how strong the language is in verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now others have pointed out that the Bible is really the story of two angers. The anger of God and the sinful anger of people. One is good anger. The other is bad anger. God is angry because he wants his way. His perfect, loving, holy way. Humans are angry because we want our way. Our imperfect, unloving, unholy way. We meet God's anger at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 when God drives Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And we meet human anger in the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain kills his brother Abel. And such is the rest of the story of the Bible. These two angers are at war with each other. God cannot, he will not forsake his greater glory. His loving purposes, his perfect plan. But uh, uh, humans uh, in our, our self-centeredness are not motivated by God's righteous causes, God's perfect loving uh, plan. We do not want what God wants. We are not angry at what God is angry about. And we are angry at things that God is not angry about. And now you know where I'm going with this because finally these two angers meet. Just outside of Jerusalem. On that hill of death. When the anger of God and the anger of man collide on the back of Jesus Christ. And Jesus dies according to God preordained plan for our sin so that when we believe we might find forgiveness and release from our anger. Now you say, wait a minute, I thought God was a God of love. Yes, God is a God of love, but you can't have a God of love without a God of wrath because righteous anger is always a form of love. Somebody attacks your child and it's your anger that catapults you into action. The more a woman loves her husband, the more she hates the addiction in him. Anger in its purest form is love in action. And I would submit to you, this is one of the things the people around us, the world around us, culture around us, desperately needs to see from the church of Jesus Christ. Areas where we are going to be angry at injustice, immorality, and decay. 
and come up with winsome, creative, awesome solutions. Whether it's in the marketplace, uh, whether it's in government, uh, whether it's in our communities, and our, our neighborhood. Now all this to say, and now I'm going to move on, that the Bible teaches there is both bad anger and good anger, and wisdom is knowing the difference. And because wisdom walked out to us in the person of Jesus, we're back to Jesus. It's in Jesus that we find that wisdom. So now let me go on. What is the cause of our anger? Or, or, or to say it a little differently, why is it that our anger goes bad? Well, I want you to look at this verse from Proverbs. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Now, we would expect, instead of the word pride, the word anger. A fool's mouth lashes out uh, with anger. That that's, tends to be how we put the words lash and uh, anger together. We lash out with anger, but, but that's not what the text says. It says we lashes out with pride. And so we ask the question, why? Because anger is the fin, but pride is the shark underneath the fin, underneath the water. And what people see is your anger. What they don't see is how overflowing you are with self-centeredness. How overflowing uh, is your desire to have things your way, according to your agenda, according to your plan. And when your plan and your agenda is, is threatened, you lash out in anger. But anger is the fin. And your pride, your self-centeredness is the shark. You see, anger is a self-centered response to a blocked goal. The two-year-old wants a toy and pitches, little Johnny pitches a fit because you take away the toy because you know the toy could hurt him. Uh, Jack, a husband, is a perfectionist. He's got a really stressful job uh, going on right now. And so when he gets home around 7 o'clock in the evening, he wants a house to be picked up. He, he wants dinner to be ready. He wants to enjoy a few moments with his kids. But Jane, his wife, isn't the perfectionist. She's laid back. And she's got a busy part-time job, and she's got five kids under her roof. And she's barely getting through the day. And so when they get together in the evening, what's happening increasingly is they clash. Because their goals are being blocked. Because Jack wants order. Jane wants empathy. Intimacy and conversation. And because they can't let go of their self-centeredness, they've started to attack one another and their marriage is circling the drain. And for me, I wanted green grass. Not scalped grass. What is it for you? Look at this verse from the book of James. What causes you fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. So why do I care so much about a yard? Is it a pride thing? Is it the the fact that I have perfectionistic tendencies or I'm a controller? Yes, yes, yes. We have anger problems, James is telling us, because we have desire problems. So now let me move on to how do we change, and I'll conclude with this. Uh, What is it that we can do specifically and, and tangibly? And so let me give you a couple of things. First of all, I want to encourage you to begin by analyzing your anger. Reflect on those moments where you lost it or where you were simmering and, and, and stewing. And I want you to ask yourself uh, five questions. Uh, or ask uh, not just yourself, but your spouse or your friends. These are great conversations in your small groups. And, and question number one is, what is it that God hates that I don't? What is it, number two, what is it that God loves that I don't love? Or or flip it, what is it that I hate that God doesn't? What is it that I love that God doesn't? And then finally, and just as importantly, is the question, what is my shark? What is underneath that causes me to be so angry? Let me go on. Second, own your anger. Be a big boy. Be a big girl. Own your unrighteous anger. Own your lack of righteous anger. And confess it. Talk about it. Uh, Bring it out into the open and the table and ask God to give you the grace to heal. Let me give you a principle here uh, that's so important to, uh, to spiritual health. And the principle is it's not your weakness. It's not your brokenness that keeps you from growing spiritually. It's your delusion of strength. It's your looking at your own life, your own heart, and saying, no big deal. It's your complacency. It's what I think the enemy is uh, uh, doing in all sorts of different ways in our entertainment-oriented culture. And I want you to own it. And then third, transfer it. Transfer your anger. Transfer your unrighteous anger. Transfer your righteous anger or your lack of righteous anger to to Jesus. Now we come to the gospel because is not that exactly what God did with his son? Did not God transfer your anger, your sin, not just in part, but the whole, to Jesus Christ and laid it on him? as he died in your place for your sin, so that when you believe, you find forgiveness, adoption, eternal life, and you begin this journey of life change. And I wonder, do you hold on to your anger? Do you fail to confess it? Or do you come to Jesus and say, here it is, take it. Thank you that you died for it. Now, let me illustrate this, and I'm done. So let's say you raise an adult child, but that child is ungrateful. That child doesn't want anything to do with you. Uh, uh, That child becomes distant. So you have three options with that adult child. Uh, One, you can become hot and blow up. Number two, 
You can become cold and seethe and resentment. Or number three, you can absorb the pain, acknowledge the pain, and forgive your child. And seek at every moment you are given to love and to bless that child. Now, how do you do that? How do we find healing for our anger? By seeing yourself as the ungrateful child. By seeing yourself as the one who has separated yourself from God and God's plan and God's uh, will for your life. And and coming to Jesus openly and, and candidly and standing amazed at his love for you, that he loves you with all his heart, all his soul, and all all his mind. So that you live in a constant state of forgiveness, a constant state of acceptance. I mean, you have been adopted in God's family. And when you see this and you rejoice in his unfathomable love and the forgiveness that he offers you through his death, And how he has come to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Then you know what? Then your bad anger is going to dissipate. But you will not live an angry free life. You will find things that you will be good and angry about. Because those are biblical and necessary and good. And it's all because. That God has so worked in your life that you see his love and you now are increasingly a person that loves him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we find love thousands and millions of different loves, loves that change us and transform us. And we ask God for the grace this Father's Day weekend, 2020, that we might be increasingly people that see your love and respond in love. And would you change us for your glory? Amen. Let's respond with this song. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, my freedom, my steadfast love. My deep and boundless peace To this I hold My hope is only Jesus For my life is wholly bound to His Oh, how strange and divine I can sing All is mine, yet not I But through Christ in me
There's a paradox playing out right before our eyes, and it's this. The more the culture distances itself from the church, the more the culture needs the church. You don't merely go to church. You are the church. 
And culture desperately needs you to winsomely stand up, to lovingly lay down your life and serve and seek the good of the people around you. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent into that culture. And may God so fill you with the Holy Spirit that only eternity will reveal all that he has done in you and through you. Have a great day. Happy Father's Day, and thank you so much for worshiping with us today. My name is Hannah, and I serve on our Student Life team. While summer break is just getting started, our Student Life team is still having a blast. Each Sunday, we're uploading brand new videos to our YouTube channel for you to watch on your own time. And then on Wednesdays, we're gathering together in life group, whether it's through a Zoom call or together in person in a small group. We would love to have you join us, so invite a friend and come along with us. You can check out our Student Life page for all of the details. If you're interested in serving the next generation this summer, one of the best ways to do that is by serving in our Puente del Pueblo summer program. Each summer, the campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner together to create the summer program, which helps students succeed in school, learn important life skills, and just have a lot of fun. Volunteers that mentor our students make a lasting impact in their lives academically and occupationally. Starting July 6, we're planning to open our Puente program with additional health precautions set out by our health officials for COVID-19. If you're interested in serving, you can go online to wheatonbible.org volunteer to get signed up or learn more about how you can get involved this summer. We'll be having a training over Zoom um, for our Puente program before July 6. If you're new around here and just starting to get to know us, we would love to get to know you a little better. It's simple and it starts with a text. Just text the word GIFT to 630-260-1600 and we would love to send you a small gift just as a way to say thank you for joining us today. But that's not all. We want to partner with you in supporting local ministry in the area. So along with your gift, we would also send a one-time donation to a nonprofit in the area. Just text us and we can figure out where you would like that donation to be sent. That's all for today. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend worshiping with us, and we hope you have an amazing week. Happy Father's Day.